Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, Enid. I would like a job here, please. K.O., you do not want to spend your days looking at all this. Yeah, I do. I can help. I can do anything. Oh, anything, huh? How about this? Um, I can do this other cool thing. Uh... Hello, I'm Aisha Harris, and this is Represent. Welcome back, y'all. So if you're a cartoon nerd, I think you'll definitely be interested in my conversation coming up in a bit with animator Ian Jones-Courty, who's worked on hit shows like Adventure Time, The Venture Brothers, and fan-fave Steven Universe. He's now created his own show, OKKO, Let's Be Heroes, which debuted last month on Cartoon Network. And we discussed common misconceptions about what it takes to quote-unquote make it in animation, as well as much more. But before we get to that, Verilyn, my producer, is here in the studio. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Yes. And you are here because we had some good news this week. Yes. Some, like, you know, nothing that you should get a cookie for. But (laughs) something we definitely, when you told me, I was like, huh? It's promising. It's very promising. So we just want to give, like, a nice brief shout out. Slow hand clap. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to Ed Scrine, Ed Screen. I don't know how you pronounce Ed his last name. S K R E I N. And when I first read it, for some reason, I saw Ed Sheeran. But <laughs> we are not talking about that dude. <laughs> anyway, we want to give a big slow clap to him. He is an English actor who's probably best known for his roles in Game of Thrones season three. He played Daenerys's uh, lover, significant other. Yeah, and she has moved on to other lovers. <laughs> I'll try not to spoil it for anyone else that <laughs> that hasn't caught the last episode of Game of Thrones. And he was also the villain in Deadpool. He played Ajax. Uh, okay, okay, but uh, this week. He he did something really awesome, I think, where he announced that he would no longer be playing a character in the upcoming reboot of Hellboy. Essentially, he got the opportunity to play the role Major Ben Daimyo, if I'm pronouncing this wrong, folks, you can correct me, uh, in the Hellboy reboot. And this week, he sent out a tweet in which he said, quote, I accepted the role unaware that the character in the original comics was of mixed Asian heritage. And he then goes on to talk about the importance of, you know, having people of color play the roles that are written as people of color. Mm -hmm. And he said, I feel it is important to honor and respect that. Therefore, I have decided to step down so the role can be cast appropriately. 
What? Mm, yo. <laughs> it is our responsibility to make moral decisions in difficult times and to give voice to inclusivity, which is so dope. reason I like this more than, you know, I, again, I don't think we should, like, go out and, like, make him a medal. But I think it's easy to talk about representation when you're asking someone else to do something. It's a more difficult choice when it means changing a behavior that you have or just making a decision that is not an easy choice. Like, he gave up money, probably, right? Well, of course. Yeah. He gave up money. He gave up uh, what could be a big friend. I mean, Hellboy was already a pretty big success, but this reboot, you know, that's more opportunities. Uh, And to me, especially coming from someone look, maybe I'm ignorant, but, like, I'd never heard of him until now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw Deadpool, but I don't really remember much of what happened in it outside of Ryan Reynolds be- having a potty mouth. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the fact that he's not this huge marquee star and he's doing this, I think, is really important because he has more to lose than, like, yeah. Matt Damon yeah. <laughs> or Tilda Swinton yeah. or Scarlett Johansson. All people that made... Oddly different choices. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, granted, Matt Damon, you know, obviously he wasn't actually playing an Asian. We should clarify. He wasn't playing a character who was supposed to be Asian. He was playing a white dude. But still, uh, similar similar thing where the the narrative focused on the white character. Yeah, yeah. And if you haven't, um, check out our episode 37 where we talked about the whitewashing in Ghost in the Shell, um, which is the, the role that Scarlett Johansson played where she was playing... A robot, a, cy- a cyborg, a cyborg who also turns out to have at one point been Asian. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's just important that we acknowledge that you know when when white people ask like, what can we do? This is one example. Yeah. It's actually taking action. It's you know being willing to take a stand and. My, like now it's on the casting folks. Yeah, like the casting folks already kind of screwed this up. So yep. now they better cast someone. Who and he's actually... made a he's made a big deal. Of, you know what I mean? Like he's put it out there. He's like said, okay, like I've done my part. Now you do your part. Exactly. And so, it, I think it'll also put pressure on maybe the next white guy to not take the role as well or woman. Yeah. Or, woman. or, or yes, the yes, next white guy. Hell, Hellboy. Yes. yes. Um. So yeah. Good. Good job, Ed Screen. Screen. <laughs> Good job, Ed. Yay! Yay! (laughs) And now back to our regular schedule programming. (laughs) With Kizik Can's free shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. So not unlike the hit Cartoon Network series Steven Universe, OKKO Let's Be Heroes centers around a young boy protagonist with dreams of becoming a powerful superhero, like all of the older, more experienced people around him in his town. K.O., voiced by Courtney Taylor, lives with a single mom and works at the local bodega alongside his new friends Enid and Rad, who are voiced by Ashley Birch and creator Ian Jones-Courty, respectively. Courty talked to me about his new show, what it takes to break into the animation world, and the influences his Ghanaian grandmother had on his pursuit of an artistic career. Check it out. Well, Ian, it is a pleasure to have you on Represent today. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Uh, so... 
I want to jump right into your new show, OKKO. OK Absolutely. Uh, it has a very, has a very long title, OKKO, OK <laughs> Let's Be Heroes. Um, yeah. And we just call it OKKO. OK yeah. Yes. <laughs> and that's what we'll call it going forward. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you, this is your first show that you're sort of the brainchild behind, correct? That you're you're working yeah. on. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. you also before this um, are very well known as well for your work on Steven Universe, which a lot of people I know love. Uh, it's a big, big hit. Yeah. And <laughs> I see actually a few similarities between Steven Universe and OKKO, um, namely that mm-hmm. they both center around a young boy protagonist uh, who really wants to become a superhero uh, in a world mm-hmm. filled with more experienced heroes and accomplished heroes than himself. It's yeah. you know, all about him trying to prove himself and learning lessons along the way. So I'm curious as to what is it about the concept of heroism that sort of draws you in and made you want to make the show sure i mean i guess i guess uh the whole show is kind of based around uh the idea of when you're a kid and you get into a space that's not meant for kids mm-hmm. when you first come across like adults that you can look up to or like um you know, other people who have, like, their own lives. I grew up with, surrounded by, like, very accomplished and talented people in my family. And all I wanted to do was uh, become one of them and, and prove my worth. Mm-hmm. And it kind of all comes from there. Wow. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. I hadn't really thought of it in that way. But, yeah, I definitely feel that, especially with KO, um, in one of the earlier episodes there's an entire uh sort of plot about him uh we realize that each hero within this world has different uh levels of heroism mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah, and yeah. him you know trying to you know bump his level and get higher i just thought that was a really interesting way of uh, approaching that and could you explain a bit more about like what it's like for you to build this world um and and you'd go even deeper into like what like coming up with the different types of superheroes and what each of these heroes have and what they're what they're doing like what is that world like for you to build it's been incredible and fun and really organic um one of our first goals for the show was um you know uh, in most animated shows sometimes when you see a crowd scene uh you sort of you don't notice those characters in that crowd you, they're just sort of you know uh very sort of like generic characters and you're not meant to notice who they are mm-hmm. one of our first uh goals was we want to make a show that when a crowd assembles you could pick out someone in the crowd and think what what is that person's life like Mm. um so before the show even started uh myself and my my uh co-executive producer toby jones uh we basically sat and we brainstormed um a ton of different heroes that live in this world and we would just sit and just have like a ball and just sort of draw um, characters and come up with names and come up with backstories and it felt just like uh, you know being a kid and trying to come up with your own superheroes or your own characters and we came up with we came up with around 70 wow and we started populating we started populating the world with our with those characters but then once we started working with um, storyboard artists and designers and they all came in and they wanted to create characters too so now we've 
got you know we've got almost 200 like separate uh characters like and Pokemon. they all have yeah exactly <laughs> they i mean what was fun for us is the idea of like taking something like that like a character that you could see maybe for like one second and then giving them a, a name a backstory what are their hopes and dreams you know so that <laughs> if you ever have to interact with that character you know i don't know you might want to write that character into a story and that happens to us all the time Hmm. we write a story and then we think oh we you know we created someone like that like a couple months ago and we just slot them in yeah that must be very useful especially i mean i imagine you know uh, being a creative sometimes you can run into like okay you get you know writer's block or animator's block or whatever whatever you guys call it of like how do we come up with these new these new scenarios, these new ideas, and just having that sort of in your back pocket, a sort of swatch of things you can choose from seems like very very convenient to have. Yeah, it's re- it's really convenient. Mm. Do you have any uh, in particular that haven't been introduced yet that you were really drawn to? Uh, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> that you really that like you really identified with, or just think are really really cool. Um, yeah, there's, there's a character who I think he's coming up in maybe like the second week of episodes, uh, who you actually get a glimpse of in the episode, you're everybody's sidekick. His name's Joe Cuppa. And, uh, (laughs) this was, this was brought on by, uh, uh, my co-conspirator Toby he drew a guy with a coffee cup for a head oh no we actually looked at like something from our we I made a pilot for the show in 2013 Mm. and in the background like there's a way that something overlaps and it looks like a guy has a coffee cup for a head and he drew that character even bigger and then we were laughing about it and we were like what if this guy's name is Joe Kappa and he's a guy with a coffee cup for a head and there's coffee inside of there and his mouth is inside of his coffee cup and he uses that to tell jokes and then we came up with this whole thing about how he's a stand-up comedian and we were just kind of having like fun like making this up pay attention ko this is all you need to know about what it means to be funny Hey, folks, anyone order a hot cup of me? (laughs) 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 We eventually wrote like an entire episode all around him and he became like this very like endearing, like fun, real character. Mm. Uh, It it was just great. yeah. And so one of the other things that I find really interesting about the show and similar to Steven Universe, too, is the idea I mean, going back to this idea of superheroes and super being a, a hero. It's the idea mm-hmm. that like these things aren't just thrust upon you. It's not like something you just have like normal. It's not like right. Batman or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. it's something you have to work at. And, yeah. you know, I is is that sort of where you want to incorporate some of, I mean, what is exactly the target audience? Like, I feel like it's the show very much sort of to, like walks a line between being uh, something that kids five, six can totally get. But then also there's some more like kind of, <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. say adult themes, but you know, the, the sure. mom character is, <laughs> is, is clearly the object of the affection of Mr. Gar <laughs> and there's yeah, that whole yeah. thing. So in, in terms of just like, uh, creating these these learning experiences for the character like what is the sort of target audience and, and what do you hope that like 
right. different audiences take away from it. Yeah, I, I very selfishly made this show for myself when I was like Ko's age, and Ko is anywhere from six years old to eleven years old. Like <laughs> that's, that's a, like that's a very wide yeah. range there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Ko, we sometimes we write him like he's six. Sometimes mm-hmm. we write him like he's eleven. He's sort of just that age of like you know any kid. Um, and the show is for kids that age. Um, you know, we, we also write it for ourselves, you know, so that, you know, uh, older audiences can watch it too. But I would say for me, like I'm, I'm most focused on making a thing for children. So you're, you're saying you're about six to 11. That's your life. <laughs> That's your age. I mean, that was, yeah, the. <laughs> those are like those are like the ages where I was just really getting obsessed with cartoons and I loved drawing and I was just like you know a ball of energy sort of like KO is and so yeah it's really made for that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, can you talk a bit more about like what was your first sort of obsessive either cartoon character or animator or show when you were a kid? Like what was the show that like made you think like oh i i really want to do this yeah uh for me as a kid it was always uh looney tunes yeah uh, was absolutely by far i mean to me the funniest thing i'd ever seen i could watch i could sit down and watch looney tunes over and over and over and over uh and i would even watch the same ones like so many times i would i would record them and i would i would watch them over and over and then i then i started uh using uh, my family's VCR to freeze frame every cartoon. And I would just watch every cartoon through on slow motion and try to figure out how they did it. And, you know, um, for me, that was the thing I was like the most obsessed with. And then I started reading a lot of, um, um, you know, my parents were really like, encouraging uh they always took me to the library and i checked out every book that had like a sentence about animation um as a kid so yeah i just got really really interested in classic animation yeah i I, that's great that you have parents who are encouraging of that because i feel like there are a lot of parents who you know cartoons you know (laughs) after a certain period it's like well you're watching too many cartoons um but i imagine though if they were you know taking you to the library and kind of expanding upon that knowledge and, and letting you get into it on a deeper level um that just sounds really great. And you you mentioned you came from an artistic family, correct? Is were your parents yeah. artists as well? So my parents aren't artists. Um, not not them. My parents are. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, my dad's a, an engineer, and my mom's a librarian, mm-hmm. um, a special librarian for like a chemical company. So like, yeah, they don't really. They're they aren't really artists, but they have always been like strong believers in like you know if there's something you want you got to find that knowledge and you got to you know you have to study to find it mm. you know they they you know they they really encouraged me to sort of work things out for myself and and to be inventive uh however though my mom's mother um my grand my late grandmother as of 2015 uh was uh Theodosia Ocon and she um was a philanthropist uh who uh c- created and sewed the first flag of Ghana. Mm. Um 
And she did this. This was, you know, back when Ghana was gaining independence from the British. And uh, she was a huge, huge, huge inspiration and a major figure in my life. Knowing that um, an artist could achieve so much um, beyond making the flag of Ghana, she also created lots of fine and folk art and was a philanthropist uh, throughout her years. So having a figure like that in your family is, is bound to make you think like, Oh, you know, you can work really hard at art and become, you know, someone who gives back and, and, you know, does a lot of good. Yeah. Did she, when, I mean, she obviously saw you do some of your work before she, she passed mm-hmm. away. What, what did she make of, of your cartoons? It's a very big difference <laughs> between folk art and you know, yeah, designing yeah. the Ghanaian flag. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I visited Ghana several times and she, she, um, she visited also uh, when I was younger and she just always encouraged me to draw and she really liked that I was coming up with my own um she was co- that I was coming up with my own characters and my own situations and uh I used to she made like a, a lot of amazing uh intricate collages and I used to sit with her and watch her cut little pieces of wood and she would tell me about the people in the collages and who they were and and how she had created them and you know, that was very inspiring to me as a young kid. Mm-hmm. And didn't you create a character based off of her for Steven Universe? Is that correct? Yeah. Or inspired by um, her? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So on, in Steven Universe, there's a family uh, called the Pizza Family. And early mm-hmm. on, we were creating a bunch of different interesting families to live on the on the boardwalk in Steven Universe. And one of one of my ideas was to do a family that is an ethnic mismatch for the food that they make. <laughs> and so we created fish stew pizza and I, and I based them all off of my family. Um, Jenny and Kiki are just, they're based off of my cousins. And then I based, uh, Kofi off my uncles. And, but, uh, the, the, uh, the sort of leader of the family is Nenefwa, who, yeah, is definitely based off of, uh, my grandmother, but also just a lot of the women in my family are, you know, have always been, you know, really, really bold and smart and have really, like, been an inspiration throughout my life. So I wanted to create a character like that. Everything came out great. Thanks, Kiki. Aren't you guys hungry? You barely touched your food. We don't need to eat. Oh, you young people and your experimental diets. I am much older than you. Yeah, <laughs> what did she think of the character? Did you did you get to see it? <laughs> I, um, you know, she knew about it. She never got to see it. Uh, but she she you know she thought it was she thought it was great that I was creating something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you had all of these influences uh, of you know your parents being very supportive, and and you had your grandmother to look up to. So mm-hmm. can you talk a bit about how you um, you know got to where you are now? Uh, I know you went to, so I know that a couple years ago, you you vented on Twitter about how there's this <laughs> common assumption <laughs> about those yeah, who yeah. have quote unquote made it in animation that they all went to Cal mm-hmm. Arts uh, in, right, in California, right. and you're like. No, that's not true. Everyone assumes this. And you, as well as Rebecca yeah. Sugar, who co-created Steven mm-hmm. University, both went to um, the School of Visual Arts in New York. So can you talk a bit about, like, 
Is there a general problem within the industry when it comes to the lack of various paths to access at the level that you are at now? Um, because it seems like these assumptions are maybe not coming from a place that is it, mm. it could be coming from a real you know perception that that is yeah. the case because there are yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of shows being run by CalArts alumni so mm-hmm. yeah like what is there a problem in this in this area well i would say that it <laughs> it sort of is like a uh, a problem of uh like location i mean um CalArts is is the most prestigious uh animation school uh, but it's also it's also in Southern California. Yeah, it has this legacy of being set up by Disney. It's very um, geographically close to a lot of the different studios um, that do animation in Southern California. Um, so I mean, you know, there is like a it, there is like a geographic thing. I mean, for instance. Um, you know, if you go to Toronto and look at all the animation that's being done there, <clears throat> most of the uh, people doing those went to Sheridan College, which is a very prestigious animation school in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, my point wasn't to say that, um, you know, that CalArts isn't, isn't, isn't a good school or anything like that. It was more to say um, that sort of your path to working in the industry can come from a lot of different places. I know I work with several people who didn't even go to uh, college, who just had a portfolio and the skills to do uh, and and make things that were really good and, mm-hmm. and who eventually we found and brought in and they did tests and they did amazingly. Um, you know, as for me, yeah, I, I did go to school of visual arts, but I mean, that really only, I think the school you go to really only tells like part of the story. I went to school of visual arts, but, um, I spent, you know, my time, you know, finding my own jobs in the industry. I worked in commercial animation in New York for several years. Um, and like, you know, I found those things myself and I made those connections. The school, I kind of liked using a lot of their equipment and I liked a lot of the instructors, but you know, I don't think going to a certain school is the thing that gets someone, um, a job. I think it's the person themselves. And, uh, I think all of the people, all of the people I know who end up like having their own shows or making their own uh, independent things are the kind of people who um, they just have to create. Uh, no, like it doesn't matter whether they're going to school or whether it's for an assignment or just for themselves. They're just always making stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and those people are out there. The people who, you know, they don't wait for um, they don't wait for a company to hire them to write a script. They just write a script. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the those are the people who, time and time again, I see succeed. Mm-hmm. And uh, w- whatever school you go to, you know, it doesn't matter as much as that because there are plenty of Cal Arts graduates who don't really have that drive. Who, you know, it's not like it's a guarantee for them to get a job in the industry. I do wonder though, like, is there? You know, there's only I, I definitely agree that the school is only part of it. I mean, that's but the, then you also have to consider like schools are also communities and it's where you make those connections and where you network um, a lot of the times. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just curious, like I know less about, you know, the animation industry than I do about the general like film industry. So uh, 
in like the general film TV industry, a lot of the times, especially in writers' rooms, it's like you're hiring people that you know, that you are friends with, that you some have some sort of connection with. Is that is it different in the animation world where it might be a little bit easier to you know get your foot in the door if you're you know showing your work and doing all that sort of yeah, thing? Yeah. I- I I th- I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, in my experience in animation, um it all comes down to the work and someone's pedigree and who they know doesn't really matter as much as the work that they've done. Um so all of the people like the people who we hired on OKKO are all people who I believe are talented enough to run their own shows someday. And it's not just because I know them or I know their friends. Like these were people who were posting their own work online, who were, who were animating short films for themselves, who were like, who were drawing comics and, and uh, putting all of their stuff out there. Um, And those are the people who I go for um, personally. Um, And I think it's, it's, the thing that's really funny about, you know, living in 2017 is that, you know, the work that people are getting paid to make, like TV shows and online content and movies and all that stuff, it's no, it's, <laughs> there's, there's no difference between that and the work that a hobbyist is doing, uh, publishing from their desktop. In fact, I would say that a lot of times, the independent work is much higher quality and can be much more um, personal and uh, unique. Um, so I think that, you know, if you're interested in getting into animation, I would just say, like, start now, you know, don't wait for someone's permission to create stuff and get your stuff out there. And, I mean, in terms of, you know, inclusion behind the scenes, do you think that, in a way, the the animation world is doing better in terms of having more people, people of color, women, um, all those, you know, typically misunder- misrepresented or underrepresented groups um, right. behind the scenes more so than TV and film? Because, as you say, it's a little bit more uh, not about who you know, per se. I mean... I I would say so, but I mean, I have a very, I have like a, I'm in a bubble just with my experiences of working on things. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't intend to, uh, like have it be this way, but you know, my, um, pre-production staff for OKKO is major is a majority female staff. And like, um, I would say that so many of the artists I see coming out, um, there are so many different voices coming from like different places uh, that have something really interesting to say. And a lot of times they're putting their work forward. So you don't even really know. You're not even really sure like, Oh, is, you know, what race is this person? What gender is this person? Uh, You know um, like even for us, I mean, that happened several times. We, you know, we have people on our staff with um, with ambiguous names, and we just hired them, and then they showed up, and we were like, "Oh, you're you're a woman. Oh, you're a man. Oh, you know, it didn't it for us. It was more about like, can this person do the work, and do they do the work well? And we found a bunch of people who work for us. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. So, can you actually just take mm, us through like? 
step by step from beginning of the concept of an episode to like when it finally gets made, like what is your job as because I, I realize that you and many animators wear many different hats. <laughs> it's not like you're yeah. just directing or just animating. You also are mm-hmm. the voice of several characters in OKKO, OK including Rad, yeah. the slacker, mm-hmm. <laughs> the slacker <laughs> teen who is uh, one of KO's friends. Uh, so, yeah, like what is it like? What does that process look like for you? Just one episode, the way you create it. Yeah, I uh I'm lucky cuz yeah, I I love working on cartoons and I get to see um everything sort of through from beginning to end. So f- sort of like a quick um explainer sort of uh, episode takes about 9 months to make. We're in production on several of them at once and it's sort of done assembly line style. So uh, as soon as your department is done with one episode, you move on to the next. But it's a staggered schedule. So Mm. nine months per episode, um, but you're working on so many episodes at a time. I'm working from anywhere from like, (laughs) you know, one to like 10 episodes at once. I mean, it's a lot. But but basically to sort of take it through... um, uh, so I work with, uh, I work with, I work with writers and my, uh, co-executive producer, uh, to sort of come up with a, uh, basic story for an episode and we sit down and a lot of times we, we pull from our life experiences. We sort of, um, right now it's become very easy because the characters have become so much more fleshed out that, um, the characters sort of uh, take the story uh, into whatever direction we want to go to. Mm. Um, and the end, the end of that process sort of comes out as a basic outline that sort of outlines the rough beats of the story and the overall point of the story and what we think is going to happen in the story. Uh, we hand that outline off to a, a team of storyboarders. We have them work in teams of two, and these are, you know, these are, this is where the cartoon really gets made. These are two, like, very talented writer artists who write and draw the entire story from beginning to end. And it's not like there's a script and then someone writes it. I mean, they sit down and they write and they draw it at the same time. Uh, this is a step that is really important in animation for me because I don't, I don't think that, um, I, you know, a lot of animation is done is written in scripts and then people follow along with the scripts and illustrate them. Mm. But I actually don't I I don't think that's a good way to make cartoons. I, all of the classic cartoons that I grew up with um, were made uh, by writing and drawing the jokes at the same time. And I think that's really important because sometimes there's um, visual nuance to uh, humor and also emotion that you can only get from a storyboard driven process. Mm. Um, anyway, we take those storyboards and we create, uh, we create rough animatics out of them where, uh, basically we record all the voices and, you know, I do one of the voices. Uh, actually I do several of the voices mm-hmm. in the show. Um, we record the entire storyboard and then we match, um, we match those voices, uh, to, uh, slugged track of what image should be on on screen at the time so eventually that becomes like a video file of still drawings with all of the voices on it we take that and then we sort of look at every single character prop 
location um, effects that happen, explosions, like any like anything that moves, anything that doesn't move, anything that needs to be created, anything that needs to be drawn. Um, we basically break those down into those categories, and then our team of I have a great crew of designers and colorists who then they take those and then they uh, they have to draw everything. So, for instance, say there was I don't know. There's a scene where Ko is eating um, Ko is eating some nachos. Um, you have to look at that scene and be like, okay, well, there's Ko. There's the nacho he's holding, so that's one separate nacho. There's is he where is he taking it from? Does he have like a boat of nachos? So we have to design that boat. <laughs> um, what else is in the scene? Is he holding a mop? Like he has to. We have to design that mop. And then where is he? He's inside of the store that he works, so we have to design that background. So every single piece has to be designed separately. So those are all, everything is designed, and then we take all of that, and then uh, we send instructions on how exactly everything is supposed to move and look. And then we work with um, our animation studios, who are our partners, who, they're two studios that are in Seoul, uh, that I've got to visit, and they're just incredibly talented animators, um, digital emation and Sunmin image pictures, uh, who are their studios who I've worked with um, before digital emation is the studio that does venture brothers, which was one of my first animation jobs. And Sunman image pictures was one of the studios that animated Steven universe, which is, and we've built up a really great uh, uh, relationship with them. And so we work with them to animate all of the scenes. So we do a lot of the sort of, we do all of the um, layouts and some of the pre-animation here. They do a lot of the in-betweens and and help us put it all together. Then they send it back. And then it's just an editorial process of we have to edit things down to time. So it's short enough to, to play on TV. And then we have to do the music and the sound effects. And yeah, and then you have an actual show. Wow, I can see why that takes nine nine months for just one, yeah. one episode. It's so intense. Absolutely. It's a lot of people yeah, it's a, involved. It is a lot of people and it's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. So I thought I heard Cree Summer uh, in one of the episodes, but I couldn't find her on any of the IMDb uh, listings. Oh, no. So is is it someone who just sounds like her? Yeah, uh, I haven't worked with Cree actually. Ah. Um, yeah, it might be someone it might be someone who sounds with, like her. You might be thinking of Kari Walgren, um, who yeah, I think that's uh, she, plays. She plays the yeah, daughter. Yeah, plays Shannon. Yes, yes, she plays the daughter of the evil. Uh, the what is this? Boxmore. Yeah. Yes. Doc- <laughs> Boxmore. Yeah, yeah. She plays. She plays Shannon. Yeah, oh. she's the evil robot. Okay. Yeah, uh, she sounds super funny. So yeah. much like Cree Summer. It's like, oh, that's that's cool. <laughs> um, that's so funny. All right. Well, that was just. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> but I would love. <laughs> I mean, I'm imagine Cree Summer is someone you would maybe like to work with. I'm putting words into your mouth, but I don't know if that's. True. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I I am always happy to work with. Uh, it's so crazy because. Um, I never intended to be a voice actor at all. Uh, I sort of ended up doing it as a convenience uh, when we did the pilot. Um, I wanted to hire someone else to do Rad's voice, mm-hmm. but because of 
a budget that we needed to spend on on other recording, uh, I was like, okay, fine, I'll just do it. Uh, and it's just for a pilot, so who cares? Uh, and then it just stuck, and then I ended up just sort of staying in the booth uh, being this character. Um, but what's been really inspiring is getting to work with uh, professional uh, voice actors uh, who, you know, I've worked, I've gotten to, wor- I've gotten to work with some amazing, amazing voices like, uh, like Jim Cummings, one mm-hmm. of my, one of like one of the best voice actors, like in the business business. I mean, he's, you know, he's Winnie the Pooh and Darkwing Duck. Another order of dastardly delinquents deposited on your doorstep, courtesy of Darkwing Duck. That's two words, not three. Both these capitalized. Here's my photo. If the papers need more glossies, my number's on the card. <laughs> I mean, this is like insane that I get to even uh, sit across from him and do lo- and run lines with him. So yeah. yeah, it's been it's been quite an education. It was funny. I was watching one of the episodes, one of the ones with Jim and in, in it, <laughs> and my boyfriend came in from the other room. He's like. Oh my god, that's Darkwing Duck. Are you watching Darkwing Duck? Yeah. I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, you're right, it is Darkwing Duck. Because <laughs> like yeah, in yeah. animation, it's such a small world, and you just start to hear like the same voice actors over just like from my childhood who are now still doing yeah. it, which is just great. Like it's great that they're still they're still doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's just like a super talent and and a class act and everybody who I work with it's just been just incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, one question I do have to ask is I know that on your Tumblr you mentioned that the show kind of grew out of a concept you had that you wound up putting in an episode of Steven Universe, the Onion Train yeah. episode, uh, where you yeah. have uh, these different sort of guys who um, mm-hmm. Steven can just kind of pull up and and to help defend the world or be a superhero for that moment. Yeah. Um, so can fans expect a crossover ever between those two worlds? <laughs> I mean, it would be fun. I don't know exactly how it would work. Um, yeah, but, I mean, that was my know. thought too. It's because they seem very <laughs> the worlds. Different. Yeah, the worlds are very different. I think we would have to find uh, some fun way. I'm not a fan of crossovers where um, characters just pop out of a dimensional portal or something. Yeah. I, I like I like to find like a weird special way to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when I when I. <laughs> Maybe when I figure it out. How about that? Okay. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, yeah, it does seem like it would be it'd be different. And also just like the animation styles are very different as well between the two. It'd be mm-hmm. interesting to see how that worked out if it ever yeah. happens. <laughs> so <laughs> my final question for you is when is the last time you saw something on TV and film that you had no part of making or being a part of, uh, in which you felt as though you were represented. You felt as though you saw yourself in a character, uh, in a moment, in a scene, in a movie. Um, it was it, and I remember I remember this very well actually because this was actually really recent. It was um, it was uh, it was Get Out, ah. the Jordan Peele movie. Um, was like yeah, I you know watching that movie, I was like. You know, I get this so much. <laughs> it's so it's so easy for me to understand, um, and it's it's so funny because watching that movie, you know, it's a horror movie, and you know, it was like 
it was so brilliant to me because the horror is just is all based around you know the code switching that like you know we have to do like every day mm-hmm. and uh seeing that play out was almost one of those moments of like you know looking around me at the theater and being like i, I don't know if these people are experiencing this on the same level as I'm getting to experience this. I mean, this is like, this is crazy that, that this even got made. Um, yeah, that, that was definitely like a great movie. I'm, I'm really, I was just so impressed by it. Did you see it in a, like a group of mostly white people or was it mixed or like, what was that like for you? I saw it with like a pretty oh. mixed crowd, but still heavily black. It was a pretty mixed crowd, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it was just, it was just, I don't know. I just had one of those moments where it was like, oh, suddenly, you know, these horror tropes that are usually not um, written for me, and I'm seeing them actually being written for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was crazy. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you are not the first person on this show to mention that as their their uh <laughs> their last one i mean it's... yeah it was it was it was so real yeah i was like dang <laughs> was there any moment in particular from the movie that like really like just you were just like i've lived this i mean you know the the whole concept of of the sunken place mm-hmm. and not wanting to go there it's like it's one of the most powerful metaphors that i've seen on film and i think that there's not there's not like a black cur- person there's not a black person in this country who doesn't understand what that metaphor means, uh, even if they don't experience it in exactly the same way as everyone else, or even as it's shown in the film. The concept, I think, is like very like it's something that you you don't get to see that discussed anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it it just it just made for. Just an incredible moment and just a good, like, horrifying, like, moment in film. Yeah. Well put. I love that movie. If you haven't, if our listeners somehow still haven't seen this movie, fix that. Oh, Uh, yeah, yeah. I should have said spoilers. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, there were no, there were no spoilers there. We're all good. Okay, okay. You've had a while, you've had a while to watch that one. Yeah, there's also no excuse. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much uh, for coming on the show to talk about OKKO. And w- yeah, absolutely. Where can folks find it again? Cartoon Network. Uh, when is it generally? Yeah. End? So viewers can watch OKKO Let's Be Heroes at six thirty on Cartoon Network or anytime on the Cartoon Network app. Cool. Thank you. Great to talk to you. Yes. Same. Thank you so much. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And that's a wrap. Represent is produced by the lovely, awesome Verilyn Williams. Our great social media assistant is Marissa Martinelli. And our intro-outro music is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band Midtown Social. Also, if you've listened this far, it probably means you like or even maybe love what we do here. 
If that's the case, one other way to support what we do is for you to spread the word and tell your friends about us. Even if you tell just one friend, we'd be forever grateful, and it's a great way to help us get into more ears to discuss these important topics. And speaking of very important topics, if you haven't already, you should definitely check out another great Slate podcast, The Political Gap Fest, which features Emily Bazelon of New York Times Magazine, John Dickerson, host of CBS's Face the Nation, and David Plotz of Atlas Obscura. It's a kind of informal and irreverent discussion Washington journalists have after hours over drinks. Download it wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time.